This podcast content came from our Rich in Relationship Lunch and Learns. You can learn more at richinrelationship.com. If you have any topics that you're interested in, please submit them there. Thank you so much for your time. For this, let's talk about judgment, anger, and collaboration. Is that what I titled this? Judgment, conflict, and collaboration. Right now, our culture is going through a period of super high judgment, super high conflict, and in some instances, a lack of collaboration over this horrible incidence of the strangulation and asphyxiation of this gentleman by a police officer. I mean, this is a shocking incident. And we're seeing reactions on all sides, if there are sides in this. We see the police acting defensively. We see the African-American community quite rightly outraged and activated. We see left-wing and right-wing parties activated defensively and aggressively. We see the wealthy cocooning themselves. We see the less wealthy reacting as well. We've got protests, we've got rioting, we've got looting, we've got it all going on right now. And it's all fueled partly by the fact that we've all been in lockdown for so long. This self-quarantine and the pressure is coming out through this channel. So what's going on here? And why the hell am I talking about it, right? I mean, that's a great question. What am I? I'm a conflict coach. And I work with people who are in high conflict in business, who are in marriage, high conflict, who are getting divorced in high conflict. And so what I know about this situation is it's a bigger version of what happens in marital disputes. It's a bigger version of what happens in individual disputes. And as such, this is what's going on. What's going on is people are positioned. They've got judgments and views about what is causal in this. They're blaming the other side in the process for what's going on. There's little or no accountability going on. And it's a completely antagonistic environment as it's being presented currently. There are people who are mourning in this, just like in a divorce, people mourn, people grieve. Just like in a divorce, uh, people um, miss the, the dream that they had. Like, what happened to the dream? What happened to Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream? What happened to, that we all shared in, by the way, it wasn't just Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream, it was a dream that so many Americans shared in. And why is it that we still haven't lived up to the Declaration of Independence, which clearly states that all men are created equally and that we all have an inalienable, inalienable rights to live free and create wealth and abundance in our lives what what's happened to all that why aren't we there why aren't we there yet so what what's going on with that and by the way that's just like in a marriage in a marriage when people in a divorce when people are getting divorced or when they're married or in high conflict it's the same question why aren't we there yet this isn't what i signed up for when we were in love we created this ideal vision of what our life could be and should be and now 10, 15, 20 years later, we're not there yet. And in some ways it's worse. And in some ways it's worse. What's happening in our culture happens in relationships in a microcosm all the time. 
So let's take the lessons from the microcosm and apply them to the big picture and vice versa. So the first lesson that we learn when two people are feuding, arguing, or when there are sides or multiple sides arguing or feuding is that each side is positioned and has its own point of view. And what we know from experience is that people will take that perspective and they'll take little snippets of what's happening out of context and use it to prove their point. Because gosh darn it, when we're mad and when we're positioned and when we're triggered, we are right. And therefore, everyone else is wrong. Right? Because we're angry and we're triggered. And it's natural for us to feel that way as human beings. That's where we go. And we see that happening in the wider culture. We see, for example, uh, media clips of a policeman pointing a gun at the crowd. And then a few hours later, we see the expanded clip of his superior officer being hit in his helmet, his superior officer's helmet being cracked by a rock or brick that was thrown at him. Like to crack that helmet, that means if he wasn't wearing the helmet, he'd be dead. And then the officer pulls out his gun, which is when we look at it in that context, normal and natural. When we see it out of context, it looks horrendous. We see more and more, we see images of people looting. Oh my God, they're looting. But what we don't see is how it happens. You know, when you're in a crowd and there's crowd thing, somebody smashes a window and keeps moving on. And someone else sees the window is smashed and says, that's nice, I'll have that. And they're in a crowd, nobody will notice. I get lost in the crowd. And what happens when we're in a crowd is our morals, our sense of what's right and what's wrong dissipates into the crowd. And if you've ever been in a large crowd, you've experienced this. I've been in large crowds. You experience a sense of loss of identity, loss of self. You're, it's, it's more difficult in a crowd to cling to your values. So it's not like people went out thinking, we're gonna go out and loot and steal because, because you know, George Floyd got strangled to death. They went out and said, man, that dude, he said he was suffocating and that cop kept his foot on his neck and suffocated him to death. He paid no attention to him. And I'm angry and I'm gonna go out. And then when they went out as a crowd, stuff started happening. And as a crowd, there was groupthink. So to sit around and say, oh, well, I'm all, you know, it's okay to protest, but this looting, this is just awful. It is awful, but it's not premeditated. And we can't afford to make judgments. We can't afford to make judgments against all police officers. We can't afford to make judgments against all protesters, whatever, wherever they're from. We can't afford to go there. Because when we go there, we are committing ourselves to being in constant conflict. Just like when people are getting divorced, they cannot be committed to saying he's a narcissist, or she's a narcissist and it's never gonna work and I'm gonna attack them and get them for the rest of our life. And here's why these two situations are the same. When people are getting divorced, they have children to think of. And no matter how awful he is and how awful she is, the well-being of that child is still there. And both people need to, they don't need to, but if they truly love their child, they're going to straighten out whatever it is that's crooked in themselves or find a way to have what's broken and bent and crooked in themselves straightened out for the benefit of that child. Well, that's where we are right now too, as a people. No matter what color you are, no matter what class you're from, no matter whether you're in power or disempowered, no matter how you frame this, right? We all have a shared vision for our society here in the United States of America. And that is that all men are created equal within inalienable God-given rights. We, uh, this is our baby. This country, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, this, this is our baby. This is what we're preserving. 
and we can't compromise the baby because we're angry. We can't compromise the baby because we're living in judgment. We can't compromise the baby by pointing fingers. That's not going to work. When Martin Luther King Jr. was outstanding for the rights of African Americans in this country, he did not sit there and say, you SOBs, you better give us what we want. What he said was, I have a dream. A dream of brotherhood. He said that he had faith that love and truth would overcome any differences that were perceived in the world. He had his eyes on the prize. That's his term. Actually, it's not his term. It's actually an old folk song, uh, or, a, 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 a grassroots folk song. But he used it really well. He had his eyes on the prize. And we need to get our eyes back on the prize, folks. You know, I didn't choose to be born in this skin. And yes, I may, actually, I won't say I may. I know for a fact that I grew up in a society that's loaded with racism. And I, and I grew up in a society that favors this skin over other skins. And that may be, could be if you're a Marxist or, you know, or if you're Malcolm X, you're going to see that as a financial thing, that the, the skin color is a smokescreen and that's really about money and power. That re or if you're all about racism, you're going to see it as a race thing. I know that I grew up in that society and that stuff, whether it's money and power or whether it's race or whether it's tribalism or whatever it is, is all over me. Just like it's all over everyone who grew up in the society. We grew up breathing this stuff. Is it who I am? No, it is not who I am. I am a child of limitless love. I am a child of truth. I am a child of justice. I am a child who stands for all men are created equal. And there may be within me programming and elements from growing up in that soup that there's brokenness in me that, may, that will be made right. And this is the opportunity for it to be made right. No matter what color you are, no matter what your financial background, no matter what your class, no matter what your place is in this society, there is an opportunity for us all to look inside and allow what is crooked to be made straight and to identify the parts of us, the things that we've absorbed, the taint that we've taken on living in this society as it's evolved. And we can purge it and we can be creative within it. We can change this culture. But not if we're finger pointing, not if we're blaming, not if we're living in anger. Yeah, anger is appropriate for this circumstance, for this situation, but we can't live in it. Either we experience the anger and use that feeling to move forward, or the anger takes us. And when the anger takes us, that's when people get strangled. When the anger takes us, that's when people get shot. When the anger takes us, that's when people's innocent store owners get looted. We don't even know who the store owners are. When people let their anger, their emotion take them, that's when things get done that we regret as individuals and as a society. So consider this a lesson from somebody who works with people in conflict all the time. Get control of your triggers. Get control of your feelings. Notice your triggers. Notice the things that set you off. Because if it's setting you off, there is a brokenness that needs to be addressed there. If a feeling is so strong that it overwhelms our sense of who we are, a sense of our dreams, our sense of our vision, if a feeling is so strong that it overrides our values and our principles, then there's some brokenness underneath that feeling that needs to be straightened out. And you go wherever you need to for that. You go, some people go to 
their higher power for that. Some people go to a therapist. Some people go to their community for it. But we're all in the process of taking what's broken and making it straight. straight. Every single one of us. Just like in a divorce. In the same way that in a divorce, two people learn to set aside their anger. Two people learn to set aside their hostility. Two people mourn the loss of what was good and right so that they can focus their energy on their child, which is what is the most important to them, the highest good. They set aside their individual stuff, their triggers, their anger for their child, which is the highest good. In that same way that we encourage people in that process to do that, I'm encouraging us all to do that now.